Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Even though it's challenging me and I'm, I, you know, and I know parents are like, I'm dying inside. I'm like, I want to tell my child, no, that's not right. And breathe through it. Allow your child to open up to you so they are safe enough to run ideas by you without later on thinking, well, yeah, no, my parent thinks this. And You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio. And this is episode number 145. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome back, veggie lovers. I am so sad because this is our last episode in the relationship series for this month, February 2021. It's been such an amazing series and I hope that you are enjoying it and getting a lot out of it. This last episode is going to be specifically about parent-child relationships, us as parents and our children and how we can better relate to them and parent better. And it's such a great conversation with Dr. Siggy Cohen. So I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, I want to give a couple of shout outs. The first one is to Lennon McGuire, who emailed me regarding my snacking episode. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I probably said something about how it's difficult to take bananas with you because they get squished. And this has happened so many times in my children's lunchboxes, my husband's lunchbox. The bottom of the backpack, that's the worst. The bottom of the backpack, you take all the textbooks out and there's just like banana goo. Well, Lennon sent me a website where there is a device, a little man-made object that you can put your banana in called a banana saver. And you can go to bananasaver.com. So if you are a banana lover, but you are feeling frustrated because your bananas keep getting squished, go to bananasaver.com. You can buy this cool little contraption that looks like a banana, but it will protect your banana so that you can eat a nice non-squished banana. So thank you, Lennon, for sending me that. That's really cool. And I hope that for those of you out there 
that need banana protection, you will go to bananasaver.com. No affiliation. I'm not getting anything from this. I thought it was just cool to share. The other shout out is to at learning new every day. So I got a very kind message on Instagram from at learning new every day. And they say, hello, Dr. Yami. I wanted to drop a hi and as well appreciate your podcast. As a medical student, when I ask questions about nutrition, especially that focuses on plant-based nutrition, my professors don't really acknowledge the importance of it. But listening to physicians like yourself brings me so much joy with three exclamation points. I just think what a beautiful time it is to be learning medicine with so many free resources that point direction towards veganism. So thank you for everything you do. Happy holidays. Thank you so much for that message. These messages really make my day and I love supporting and encouraging and mentoring medical students and residents because I know what it feels like on your journey. And I just commend you. And I'm so proud of you for seeking other perspectives. I feel like when I was in medical school, I was, I was just that good girl, that good student that just learned as much as I could from my professors, which you should, but maybe I didn't think outside the box as much as I probably could have. And I see so many students and residents now thinking outside the box and learning new things, learning new perspectives. And that's the way we advance. That's the way that we learn how to be resourceful so that when you're out on your own and you're looking for ways to help your patient, you're looking for ways to coach your patients and their families, you will be able to do it on your own. So thank you for being such a great student, learning from your professors, but also learning other perspectives. So let's talk about Dr. Siggy Cohen. I found her on Instagram as I was searching for an expert to talk about parent-child relationships. And she has been working with kids and families of all kinds for over 35 years in the Los Angeles area and abroad, first as a teacher and then as a child development specialist. She specializes in emotional and behavioral challenges, transitions, and trauma, and she's also a mother of three. So she has walked the walk. And what I loved about her Instagram account is that she has lots of videos where she talks about how she approaches things or how she would recommend parents look at things differently. And you could tell that she's very calm and she's very experienced and wise. And I love that. I love having somebody that can show us a different way of looking at things and thinking about things. Because as parents, sometimes we kind of get stuck in the same thing and maybe don't learn new things. But as parenting goes, it's a journey and we have to learn to grow. We have to keep advancing and moving forward. So I think that this is going to be a really great conversation. We talk about how parent-child relationships are unique compared to other relationship types how will they change over time? What are the typical struggles, stressors, and challenges that parent-child relationships experience? How different habits and behaviors can affect the relationship? I talk about parenting styles, the different parenting styles and what they're like and why it's important to know what your parenting style is. And we talk about parental shame and guilt, forgiveness and grace, and how you might know if you're going to benefit from professional help or you might, you might benefit from professional help. 
But I think that overall, this is just such a great topic and such a great conversation. And I hope that you learn a little something, learn a different way to think about things and approach things. Uh, and that if it leads you to seek more resources, definitely check out Dr. Siggy's resources. Her name is spelled S-I-G-G-I-E, S-I-G-G-I-E. And you can find her on Instagram at Dr. Siggy or at, on Facebook at Dr. Siggy. And then her website is drsiggy.com. Well, without further ado, let's listen to this fantastic conversation with Dr. Siggy Cohen. Well, Dr. Siggy Cohen, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am so pleased to have you today. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here as well. Well, as you know, I've invited you today to speak about relationships, but more specifically about parent-child relationships. This is something that I'm very interested in because I'm a parent and I know what that's been like raising children, but I know that so many of us mothers and fathers alike might struggle with finding their identities, relating to their child, and also how that changes over time. So thank you so much for coming to talk to us about that today. And I wanted to start out with how are parent-child relationships unique compared to other relationship types? I can say that for the most part, it's the sense of responsibility that we have towards our children. That is possibly the number one, and that creates an inequality in a way, because when you have other types of relationships, friendships, um, marital, obviously, companionship, and so on and so forth, um, they should be a little bit more at eye level. They should be a little bit more equal in the sense of we both bring um, whatever it is that we can as much as um, as compatible with the other one into the connection. When it comes to child-parent relationships, especially in the first 18 years, but even a little later, I mean, after that, it's not compatible in the sense that the adult, the parent, is so much more responsible and needs to be accountable. It doesn't mean the children aren't res responsible and don't have a part in the connection. They bring into this relationship who they are, their needs, their personality, um, the, the natural wiring, uh, and so on and so forth. And of course, they're growing and changing, so they absorb what is going on in the surrounding, and they bring that into the mix but they're so much less aware and they're so much less experienced and able to reflect and to measure their own part in the relationship. And I mm. think that brings about the biggest challenge to not see yourself really as equal to your children because you are and you're supposed to be their mentor. You're supposed to be able to stay in a way in a, in an authority position, not because you're being intimidating to them, not because you're trying to oppress, um, but because you're, you're leading them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you absolutely have to be the leader because you are the one that is coming in with much more life experience, knowledge, 
skills, intelligence, even when it comes to awareness and understanding and resources. And yes. So on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And I love those words that you use mentor and leader, because it, it, the first thing, whenever you said, I didn't even think about it that way, that inequality, but it's totally true because it is a relationship where you're just like, oh my gosh, your baby's born and you have this overwhelming sense of responsibility, right? You're just like, how am I going to do this? And what I see as a pediatrician and probably you see a lot too, is overwhelming anxiety about it. Like I feel like sometimes it goes overboard and parents are like, it's all up to me. I have to make sure everything is perfect for this child and nothing goes wrong and I need to protect them always. So sometimes I feel like that goes overboard. But when you use the words like mentor and leader, I think that might help alleviate some of that pressure a little bit, you know, because it feels more like, okay, whenever you're a mentor to somebody, you're not expecting them everything to go perfect, you know? And so I I think that that's, that's true. And probably that's why I see a lot of anxiety from parents is because they do have this overwhelming sense of responsibility. Absolutely. Yes. And a mentor and a leader is not anyone that says, I know it all. And I take over 100% in this, you're absolutely right, the sense of perfection. No way. A mentor is actually wise enough to know that they are still acquiring knowledge and information, that they absolutely make mistakes as well. Even a leader makes mistakes. That's the, the, the wisdom in a leader is to actually know I'm human. But no doubt that I still in the in 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 the equation between my child and I, I know more. It's not about control. It's about knowledge and experience. Uh, I love that. It's not about control. It's about knowledge and experience. And the image I got in my head is two people going together in a journey and you're just a few steps ahead. You know, there's still all of this stuff ahead of both of you that you haven't explored, but you're just a few steps ahead. So you can tell that person behind you, this is what it's like up here. This is what the journey's been like so far, but we both have to go more, you know? Yes, absolutely. And maybe also you've taken parts of that journey before. That is the experience that you have. You're not saying, oh, I've been here, done this. You are helping the the one with you in that journey, exploring it with them, being curious and inquisitive together with them. But it's true that you have been through parts of the journey, maybe not all. Your child's life and your life are not equal, are not um, the same. You had your life, not everything repeats itself. Mm-hmm. But the part of knowledge and experience that you have acquired so far allows you to be able to, to, to sympathize, to empathize, to be able to put yourself in their shoes as they cannot put themselves in your shoes. Yes. Oh, that's so, so wonderful. Tell us a little bit about how parent-child relationships change over time. I remember being a young mother with my first child. 
and every stage feels permanent. <laughs> you, you don't know what it's like, you know, you're just like, it's going to be diapers and sleeplessness forever, yes. you know, but it, it changes and it changes very rapidly. So tell us a little bit about how the relationship changes over time. Yes. And I just want to say that only in hindsight, you realize how quickly it does change. And, but you're right. When you're in it, it does seem forever. The, the, back to what we said in the beginning, the main way in which it changes is the fact that your child does acquire knowledge and experience and therefore accountability, responsibility and awareness. It's not, it's, it's almost like, you know, in that sense of the journey where I carry maybe the majority of the baggage because I'm bigger and my child carries basically themselves little by little, I relinquish, I hand them a little bit more of that, whatever it is, the, the supplies that are needed, the skills, the abilities, the experience that they have to acquire by actually falling, getting up, stumbling, getting, you know, crossing over little um, patches in the road or, or, or hills, climbing and so on and so forth. That is what changes is that I have to realize, yes, I started as I know so much more. But one, even my baby doesn't, isn't born into this world completely a blank. We already know that, right? We used to think the blank slate. Yeah, no. They, they're born into uh, this world with already pre-existing knowledge that they have acquired and they're coming with it. So I have to have respect towards that. But of course that they're still acquiring all that day by day. So I can say to my child, I will always have more experience because I'm older, but not necessarily because my experiences are more than yours. Mm -hmm. You are acquiring experiences as you go along this journey. And that is honorable. Mm -hmm. So... If anything changes is my ability to look at my child's knowledge and experience with respect rather than you don't know, I know better. I I know I know more, it's true, I know some, but the fact that my child is acquiring knowledge, they have their own senses to take in the world around them and compute it with their own abilities and skills allows me to also look at them and say, I see you. I see what you're saying. I see where you're coming from. I see what you're pointing out to me that, you know what? I didn't see it before. Yeah. So even though I'm still the leader because I'm older and must be the leader because I have to protect them, they are changing day by day by acquiring knowledge and experience. Mm. And I'm recognizing that. Yes. And I love the word respect that you use for us to respect our children, because I agree as a pediatrician that babies are born with personalities. I see oh. it every single day and Absolutely. parents sometimes don't want to believe me, but I'm like, oh, this is, <laughs> they're acting this way because that's probably part of their personality. You know, it's just Absolutely. amazing 
But now that I have a teenager, I'm in awe, you know, and earlier in the interview, you used the word curiosity. And one of the things that I've loved so much with my own children is opening my mind up, just like you were saying, like, you're not like me. You're not just this little imprint of me. You're your own person. And you see the world with differences, a different eyes, a fresh perspective. And yes, I've been through a lot of things you haven't been through yet, but it's really fun to see how they explore the world, how they approach ideas and beliefs and be open and curious to that as you're mentoring and leading them. But it's also just so enjoyable, you know? So whenever you see it from that way, you're not trying to make this clone of yourself, but allow them to explore the world. Very true. It, by the way, it takes away some of the anxiety. Yes. If you are allowing yourself to be curious and to look at your child and observe them as they are, you're less anxious. You're less thinking that it's all up to you and you need the soul control. You're like, oh, they have their own little ways of figuring things out and there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's actually wonderful. And now I can step back and enjoy them learning and growing on their own without me thinking that absolutely I have to bubble wrap their life and fix every little thing for them because they're helpless and clueless. Yes. Such a great way to look at it. Now we know that obviously parenting can be a difficult journey and things come up. So what are the typical struggles, stressors, and challenges that parent-child relationships experience? I think that today's parenting is extra challenging because of our um, emotional intelligence and the emotional intelligence language that has been um, developed so much more to talk about feelings, to explain, to express, to share how it is that we see things and feel. All of that has made us so much more aware of how our children really are feeling and what is going on with them, but made us also hypervigilant about every little thing. Mm. And in some ways it created maybe even some sense of invasion, sort of like we absolutely have to be immersed in them and everything about them. So that brings up so much anxiety for parents today. When we take parenting before, they used to be so much more logistical, practical, factual. You needed to know where your kids are, that they're eating, um, that they go to school, obviously, that they are safe and so on. Now it's like every little thing, whatever toy, whatever place, whatever lesson, Whatever mood that they're in, you must inquire about it. You have to know, you have to micromanage. So parenting today is this emotional immersion that has taken over. And I think that is the biggest, um, if anything, change that we have to make. Understanding that, yes, they're full of emotions and so are we. But micromanaging emotions is not necessarily what parenting needs or parents have to do. You know how they say sometimes, I want to be my child's friend. I, I want us to have close relationships and, in, you know, be intimate with one another. Well, you have to rethink that, you know, 
children may have other types of intimate relationships with many different peoples and intimacy, so many different things. Yours is just one kind. And they're only going to have maybe these two parents and hopefully not more than that, right? Can bear Children don't need more than two parents. So you're not supposed to be your child's friend. You're supposed to actually step away a little bit and allow them to come to you rather than you are constantly engaged with them. What happens mm -hmm. is that they're not learning to seek help, to use resources, to be a little bit more independent in their thinking and being. They become overly codependent. Mm. So that's a, an interesting way to look at it. I haven't even thought about that, but it's true that I think in the past, like I just think of my grandmother, I don't think she ever sat down and talked to my mom or her siblings about how they were feeling about anything ever. Mm -hmm. Like it was mostly like, I got to do all this work. You guys make sure you eat, go play, do whatever, <laughs> come back for dinner. You know, it was, mm -hmm. you know, it's like such a, a different way to think about it. And now it does feel like we're so very invested. Do you feel like parents are wanting their children to just feel happy and joyful all the time and that's bothersome or where where what do you think the goal of micromanaging is absolutely that the notion that <clears throat> excuse me the notion that i am in charge of my child's happiness is one um one aspect of me being so anxious about every little thing that my child feels but it's even more than that, the assurance that my child must be happy at all times. Mm. And that drives us to constantly seek that happiness as if that is even possible or relevant. So I hear that all the time. I just want him to be happy. I don't want him to be upset. I, I don't like when he's frustrated. And that eliminates our range of emotions that are there, each one for a good reason. I often say to parents, you know, when especially fear, anxiety, children that say, I'm scared, right? But no, there's nothing to be scared of, and so on and so forth. And we forget fear is actually an important part of our survival. Um, sadness is important. Can you imagine that something really sad is happening and I'm not feeling sad? What does that actually mean? I'm not supposed to feel sad if you know, my cat is hurt or I lost something, you know, that is dear to me. So I want parents to think, no, happiness is not a goal. They're not supposed to be happy all the time. Actually, they're supposed to feel each and every one of their emotions. What you want is to help them cope and manage with each and every emotion they're feeling. So they have skills and tools so they don't get stuck in sadness and frustration. And that seems to take down the system and feel like that's the end of the world. No, that it is difficult and challenging to feel certain emotions, but not impossible to get through. Yes. And, and what I want parents to reframe for themselves is this narrative that they tell themselves, I just want him to be happy. I want everybody to stop and go, that doesn't actually make any sense. <laughs> No one is happy all the time and happiness. Yeah, the pursuit of happiness is our journey. 
but not the finding of happiness at every moment of our journey because mm-hmm. that's not right and that's not yeah. okay. And that actually weakens us as opposed to strengthen us. Yes. And it just sets us up for unrealistic expectations. I know that that's kind of how I grew up, that my, quote, negative emotions weren't acceptable. So then I would feel worse about it because then I felt guilty that I was ever feeling bad. <laughs> so it's like this, you know, so, but it's just not realistic as a human. I, I think it's impossible to be happy all the time. And like you said before, maybe it's not even desirable because there are things in life that we legitimately should be sad about, you know, or frustrated or disappointed. I mean, or even guilty, you know, I agree that it can become overwhelming when some emotions are dismissed and then I feel, or I'm being put down for feeling certain emotions. And now I feel guilty because I'm feeling those emotions. So now it's an overwhelming sense of one emotion that I'm supposed to feel a little bit of, but not that much. So what I want parents to do is help their children recognize each and every emotion that is relevant for the moment. Mm -hmm. And that there is a way out of it. There is a way through it. It's up to them to help their children find it rather than do it for them. Yes. Yes. Being that guide, that mentor, rather than you know, this overbearing boss that just tells you what to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Cause your child walks their own, right? It's like, I'm not picking them up each and every time they're stumbling. I'm helping them get up on the road. Yes. I'm not carrying them through the entire journey in my arms. I'm actually wanting them to use their own muscles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some habits and behaviors on either side, both on the parent child parent side and the child side that might affect the relationship. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover. If you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. I think that anxiety is often what drives parents to stop emotions from happening and focus on behaviors so much and try to manage the behaviors without actually realizing the emotion. So it's almost, it almost contradicts what we just said. They're so hypervigilant about how their children are feeling. But then when the emotion, when the behavior takes place, the focus suddenly is so much on the behavior that I forget the emotion that drove or triggered the behavior. And now I just want to change that behavior, stop that behavior from happening. Why are you doing this way? Why are you acting this way? Can't you see this is not okay? And so these are all rhetorical questions that don't actually have an answer unless 
you are realizing what the answer. Oh, I see why you're behaving this way. This is how you're feeling. Okay. It's okay to feel a certain way. It's not necessarily okay to behave a certain way when you feel this way. So I have to see emotions and actions or emotions and behaviors separate and attend to both of them. So parents are extremely anxious about their children's behaviors because be, because behaviors are very external. They're in your face. It's very difficult to not hear your child whining or complaining or, you know, being aggressive, obviously, you know, um, throwing stuff, hitting their little sister and so on. It's or misbehaving at a, you know, family event or in the supermarket with the, you know, just bothering other people and so on. It's very difficult to ignore these behaviors, I agree. So you try very hard, you, get, you become so anxious about the behavior, it's in your face, you want to turn it off right away. You're supposed to help your child manage their behaviors, but you can do that by actually realizing the emotion that is driving the behavior. I can mm-hmm. see that right now you're having a difficult time standing in line. What is the child doing? They're whining. It's boring. It's taking so long. I don't want to be here. And you're like, stop that. That's not okay. Um, what do you want me to do? I can't change that. The line is long, right? I mean, we try to reason. We try to give them um, sort of like ideas of sensibility that they're going to go, oh, okay, I understand. No, they don't understand that. So I can say, yeah, I can see it's boring. I can see that. Yes, you're having a hard time. You're having a hard time waiting in line. You still need to wait in line. We're still here. I'm sorry, but yeah, you have to control your body. You can tell me how hard it is for you to wait in line. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the challenge that a child feels about waiting in line. And you know what? All children didn't like, I mean, when you were a kid and your grandma, they still didn't like that. They just didn't express themselves. Mm. Today they're expressing themselves, right? Mm -hmm. They tell us everything, which is a good thing. But we still want to go back to stop that. That's not okay. You're misbehaving. What are people going to say? So we yeah. we want them to express themselves and tell us how they feel, but then we want them to turn all those feelings off because the behavior is in our face and we become anxious. So yeah, and it, and you know it's as a slightly experienced parent since my children are now eleven and almost sixteen. I have to admit that as parents, we're also full of emotions ourselves, right? And so when that child is behaving that way in the grocery store, it takes so many times to learn that new way of approaching and new way of talking to them because your first instinct is this is embarrassing. You yourself are full of emotion. And so then you have a behavior that may not be appropriate. And it just kind of augments the whole situation. <laughs> you know, it's like two people having a tantrum in their own way, right? Absolutely. And again, you know, when we feel you're right, they trigger emotions in us. 
But here's what we tend to do, why I mentioned, why I said anxiety. It's kind of like I wrapped it all up in this one thing. We become very anxious about the way they are behaving because embarrassment does not feel good to us. Um, Shame doesn't feel good to us. Guilt doesn't feel good to us and so on and so forth. So we become anxious. What do we do? We want to turn off their behavior. So it helps us turn off our emotion. Mm-hmm. And now we're sort of like patching a hole in the wrong place. It's like somebody comes to you as a doctor and, you know, with God forbid, a broken leg and you give them a Band-Aid for their arm. It's kind of like that's that's not the right fit for the right mm-hmm. problem, right? We have to assess the situation. We have to see what's going on and then really put the or give the right remedy. So. Yeah. I am feeling anxious or embarrassed about my child misbehaving. Okay, me turning my child's behaviors off, and that helps me turn my emotions off, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I have to manage my own emotions. I have to say, yeah, this is embarrassing. I don't like when my child misbehaves. And now I can attend, you see, as a mentor, as a leader, I get a little lost as well, which is what I said in the beginning. Leaders and mentors don't know everything. They get lost too, but they are better. They have more experience. They have to remind themselves, okay, I'm in charge. I'm the leader here. So I have to manage my own emotions first. And now attend to my child who's a bit lost. Yes, I can see you are having a difficult time standing in line at the grocery store. You're right. I can see that. Okay, not okay. Not okay to push your brother into the next person or not okay, not okay to, you know, push anyone else or whining someone. Not okay to do that. But I can see how you're feeling when you're standing here in line and it makes you feel like you can't do it. It's too hard. And I'm telling you, you can do it. It's hard, but it's not too hard. You can do it. It's okay. Let's wait here together. Yes. So much different. So much more calm. Such a different sense of it. But you're right. It's that skill of us as parents learning to manage our own thoughts and feelings, learning to manage our emotions. When we learn that skill, then we can help our children (laughs) as mentors. It takes a while, though. Absolutely. It's not easy. No, and, and obviously no, nobody's going to be perfect, but I've discovered this too in my own journey that the other way after trying it so many times doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So then you start learning other ways, you know? So hopefully by the time I have grandkids, I'll be more expert level. We'll see. Um, how does parenting style affect the relationship? So as we talked about the beginning Helicopter parents, you know, the ones that need to micromanage everything, doing everything for their child. But then there could be the opposite, permissive parents. And I know that there's generational difference too. Like I'm generation X and I know that in generation X, there was more parents that might've been more permissive and kind of let the kids do whatever. So how does the parenting style affect this relationship with the children? Absolutely. I think... When we don't understand the style of parenting that we're using and we're just kind of grabbing from each style something that fits in the moment, 
that creates the confusion. So we come from a lot of authoritarianism. It's, I'm, you know, this is my house. These are my rules, kind of right. That sense, I'm in control. I'm in charge. This is it. You do as I say. And we've moved through authoritative style of parenting, which is more the democratic idea. We're all in this together, but certainly there are roles that are assigned according to experience, to knowledge. You know, I don't just um, vote for someone who's not supposed to know what they're doing in the position that they're voted in. So in in the democratic system, everybody has a voice. That's the authoritative um, parenting style. But some voices are the majority, and in this case, in the parents, um, in that parenting style, the majority is the parent that is basing their voice on knowledge and experience, and of course, being the leader and the mentor. The permissive is somewhat the opposite, or where the pendulum is swinging from parents that feel like they were not explained, they were not heard, they were dismissed. Um, they were set aside by their parents who were controlling or um, maybe too loud, too, um, too much in charge and didn't really give them a role and a place. And they feel like they have to undo that by giving their children all the votes, the entire range of voice. Like, you are in charge. It's like... You okay, whatever it is that you want, and they're the ones that are asking the children questions all day long about every little decision, thinking that this is how they're giving their children a place and a voice, not considering that their children are so young. And to put a young person and an unskilled person in a position of know it all is extremely overwhelming. Yes. And not right. So back to that, most parents don't realize the style of parenting that they're using. And I want them all to study the different styles and not just, well, this is what my parent did. So I hated it. I'm not going to do it. Okay. That's not, that's a start, but it's not a completion of a reason. So think that through. You didn't like it. I get it. Not supposed to like everything. Did you not like everything about it? Was some of it right? <laughs> um, and then take it to, okay, am I supposed to, because of that, give my child complete range of freedom? Because that is what I didn't have. Again, it's incomplete. And I think they want to recognize that that actually causes them and their children more anxiety because there's no leader in the family and they're allowing someone so unskilled to lead that creates chaos, the chaos that a lot of families feel right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, and it's true. I, I have seen this pendulum swing and it almost seems to me like rage adjusting the thermostat, you know, like you're so angry, it's it's too cold in here. So I'm going to turn it up 10 degrees. And then you end up with the opposite problem. It's too hot, then you go back to too cold. But you're right. If you're approach it with more thoughtfulness and mindfulness and observe, well, this is what happened in my childhood, maybe why I didn't like it. But as a pediatrician, I've also seen situations where 
parents are asking their very young children these questions, like the the children should know the answer when the children are looking at the parents like, I'm just a kid, <laughs> you know, like yes. you're the one that's supposed to be in charge. And I kind of see what the parents trying to do. Like they're trying to give the child more responsibility and, and more say in the matter, but it seems a little too far, you know, like whenever you're taking very young children and expecting them to know all the answers to everything and be able to know the right decision to make, you have to take on some of that responsibility. Like we were talking about at the beginning where we, this relationship is unequal. We have more responsibility than the child. So when we're trying to give it all to the child, it's very stressful for them and they feel lost and they feel like not taken care of and maybe even a little resentful later on in life, you know? Uh, absolutely. And also what happens is when parents, without realizing why they're doing it, do realize the consequence of that, they lost all control. Suddenly they try to take it back in sort of like moment to moment. So, okay, that's it. I'm done. Or no more. Or you know what? I'm in charge and it's up to me. And as long and suddenly they are using the voices and the ideas that they're trying so hard not to mm. because they haven't thought it through. So it's not who's in charge. It's really who's in charge of what? Who's mm. in charge of what and when? Think like that. There's got to be an order to things. It cannot just be, like you say, the thermostat or the pendulum that just swings from one end to another just because something is not right right now. Okay, pause for a second. Assess the situation. Don't just make a harsh decision. Okay, that's it. That's it. What? All that you just did is gone and wrong and bad. And now you're going to pick something else or some of it. It's this and that is still, okay. I see you have a say. I agree. I hear you. Okay. But actually in this matter, my say is the majority. My voice is bigger. Not because again, this is about control, but because I am in charge of certain things that you, sweetie, cannot. Mm -hmm. Now we go back to that. Why are parents doing this? Exactly what you're describing, asking their children everything, thinking this is how they keep them in the loop and provide or giving them respect. Mm -hmm. Respect is not putting someone in charge that cannot be in charge. That's not respect. That's actually chaos. Respect is maybe letting people know what is going on, being transparent, um, um, open and authentic about the information as much as you can. That's actually respect. So instead of asking, telling. Is it bedtime? That's asking a two-year-old to decide, is it bedtime? It's bedtime. See? I'm still respectful towards my two or my five-year-old when I say, yep, it's bedtime. And I didn't ask them, is it bedtime? What do you think? Should we go to bed? I can use that if the answer is mine. Yes, it is. But not if I'm allowing my child to decide. And now they're saying, no, no. And, and now I'm like, uh, okay, now what am I supposed to do? I asked. <laughs> 
And now I don't like the answer. Well, but you have to. And now I'm arguing and trying to reason with a two-year-old or a five-year-old why it is bedtime. Well, you didn't really have to do any of that if to begin with, you were the one that says it's bedtime. No, I don't want to go to sleep. See, that's different. I don't want to go to sleep. Now I can say something about that. I hear you. I know you don't want to. But yes, you have to. You are going to sleep. Yeah, such a such a subtle difference, but a very different outcome. And you as the parent still remain in that authority position, but with respect and gentleness. You know, it doesn't have to be like this tyrant. You know, you, you can still be a gentle, respectful parent. And I think that's what some parents think that whenever your child cries and they're upset that you're a bad parent. But no matter what you do as a parent, your child is going to be upset and cry. I mean, it's just going to happen, you know? Yes. And I also want to tell parents, and they're supposed to, it's okay that they don't agree with you. You are not supposed to have your child agree with every little thing that they do. Actually, on the contrary, the fact that they disagree helps them realize a lot of things about themselves and life. They're not supposed to agree. But don't be discouraged because they disagree. Your job is not to convince them. Mm -hmm. Your job is to present the information to them best as possible and then still know that there are moments they're going to disagree and they will voice it and have emotions about it. And that's your respect towards them. Allow that. I know you're upset about going to sleep. I know and I'm sorry. But yeah, that's what we're doing. We're going to sleep. It's okay for a child to be upset about it. They're still going to sleep. They don't have to agree, right? Why are you upset? You know that it's important. You know you're supposed to go to sleep, and otherwise you won't be able to wake up in the morning, and then you're tired. It's like (laughs) now I'm trying to sell them on this entire concept of sleep that they're supposed to agree and understand. Yeah. Why they really don't. They're supposed to look up to me and go, my parent just said to me that they know I don't want to go to sleep and I feel really acknowledged and validated, but I still know my parent said that and therefore I'm doing it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. 
Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Wow. Yeah. Such a difference there. Let's talk a little bit about culture and society. And I think that in, as a parent, as a mother, maybe social media, friends, family, they're always trying to put in their own views and opinions about how we should parent, how the relationship should look. So what kind of examples can you give us of how our society and culture might paint this picture of an ideal relationship with a parent and child or normalize certain relationships or behaviors that might actually be harmful? Yeah, that's a very big question. And of course, it's a very confusing one, especially as our children are exposed to so much more today that we don't necessarily have control over. And they come back to us with many ideas. So-and-so does it this way. And this person, and I heard, and I saw, and my friend, um, and of course, you know, between TikTok and Snapchat and YouTube and so on and so forth. Yes, we want to actually acknowledge everything they're exposed to as long as we are understanding what they're exposed to. Of course, we have to somewhat set boundaries, and thankfully there are ways to do that. But diversity is such that we are allowing our children to be exposed to a lot of different things without dismissing it and recognizing that some of these things will trigger us, will challenge us, will um make us rethink certain ideas we have. This is why I said earlier, your child acquires knowledge and experience in this journey right alongside you. And it's okay for you to little by little hear what it is that they have to say. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a dialogue. It's a conversation. It's not, no, that's not right. Or where did you hear that? Or, well, we don't believe in that. These are definite and defined uh, ways to put off a conversation 
or to turn off a dialogue Mm -hmm. while you want to do the exact opposite. Tell me more. What do you mean? What do you think about it? How does it make you feel? Even though it's challenging me and I'm, I, you know, and I know parents are like, I'm dying inside. I'm like, I want to tell my child, no, that's not right. And breathe through it. Allow your child to open up to you so they are safe enough to run ideas by you without later on thinking, well, yeah, no, my parent thinks this and no, they're not going to agree with me or, oh, they're old world and so on and so forth. You being open to a dialogue and a conversation does not mean you agree with everything. It only means that you are presenting the possibility of changing narratives, which is happening right in front of our eyes constantly. And our children are absorbing new ideas, new concepts, new ways of living. And we can't stop that from happening. We want to, but we can't. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's scary. You know, I think a lot of parents do things on purpose to try to limit their children's exposure for as long as possible. And, you know, obviously there's extremes and one side or the other, and there's the middle ground. But I think the truth is that no matter what we do, our children will at some point eventually be exposed to outside ideas outside of our house, outside of our home, outside of our family and culture. So being, recognizing that, and like you said, being curious about it, having that dialogue and not trying to exert your influence overly and say them, no, that's the wrong way, or you shouldn't believe that. You know, I think it can be really, really difficult um, for some parents. Absolutely. It's very challenging. And in the conversation that we're having, especially in this country, about diversity. we I think it's our role, it's our responsibility to keep that dialogue open and to not necessarily relinquish all our ideas, not necessarily give up everything we trust and feel strongly about, but certainly understand that our ideas, our ways, is not the only way. Yes. That's diversity. Diversity is not me giving up who I am for something or someone else. Diversity is me understanding that it's parallel, that I can be and I am and someone else can be and they are. And I think that's our biggest or one of our biggest roles, especially in this very complex world today where our children are exposed to so much that we sort of like sometimes feel like we swim against the current trying to catch up. Yes. We have to breathe through it. We have to kind of go, okay, I will be challenged by certain things that I may not know or have any experience with. They didn't exist in my world. But can I? Be open to that. Can I help my children um, get knowledge and experience through their own eyes and not be so scared about it and trust who they are and what I am giving them still that is giving them, that is providing them enough of a structure Mm -hmm. to be able to use it all 
in you know what I'm giving and what they're exposed to and blend it in an intelligent way. Yeah. Ah, so beautiful. And I love that sentence. I will be challenged. I think that's like the mantra of all parenthood, right? The whole parenting journey. I will be challenged. (laughs) Just be open, acknowledge that. But let's talk for a second about parental shame and guilt. At the beginning of my parenting journey, there was a time my oldest child was that late toddler, early preschool age. And then I brought my second child home that there was a period in time that I truly believed I was a bad mother. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that really affected how it, it did not help anything in my parenting situation. And I will just admit that I used to be a yeller. I did not know how to manage my thoughts and feelings at all earlier in my life. I spent most of my life studying to be a doctor. So I totally did not do any knowledge about myself. You know, I just, that whole part of me was neglected, but you know, I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of guilt. So talk a little bit about how that can affect the relationship, how we parent and the importance of forgiveness, forgiving ourselves and the mistakes we've made and the mistakes that invariably every parent will make, but also giving ourselves grace on the day-to-day basis on our parenting journey. Yes, absolutely. I so agree. So I think that because we come into this role, feeling that we're going to have sole control over this little human being, and then realizing that we are human and mistakes do happen and things get away from us that we absolutely did not expect or predict, such as how emotional we're going to be or how triggered or how challenged, kind of, as you say. So I yell, it's like, okay, now what? What do I do with that? Can I change that? Is that okay? Or now I'm just dwelling and lingering in that, oh, I feel awful. I feel terrible. I'm such a yeller. It's more like, okay, I'm a yeller. Can I be aware of it? Can I take that as at face value and now ask myself, what do I want to do about it? Mm-hmm. Guilt is one way of approaching something, but guilt is not proactive. Guilt just makes you feel and then be passive. Mm-hmm. So be aware of that. You have other emotions. So can guilt turn into something else, such as responsibility, for instance? What do I do about it? Now, I think that that helps in parenting in general, because one of the things that I hear most often is parents asking themselves and children rhetorical questions constantly. Why am I doing this way? Why am I this way? Oh, why did I do it? See the regret, the the guilt, the shame. And we do that with our children. Why did you just, why did you do it? Can't you see, can you know better? And so on and so forth. We're not taking ourselves and them through the journey of learning. Learning is all about making mistakes. Learning is all about stumbling and falling and then learning to get up. It's not, why did I fall? It's okay, what do I do now? So I want to say, I want to ask myself questions that, do bring up an answer, a real answer. So I'm inquisitive and curious about myself as well. Why am I yelling? Why am I such a yeller? That's rhetorical. That only 
lingers guilt and shame. Oh, I think I'm a yeller. I'd like to do something about it. I, I think I can. Let me see what I can do, what, what I can do about it. How do I actually change that? Now there's proaction. There's a process of how to, steps, right? Mm-hmm. We want to help our children do the same. So instead of us lingering in our own guilt and shame, which is almost impossible to not feel some of it on a regular basis, Don't ask yourself a rhetorical question that only leaves you hanging without any proaction. Ask yourself a real question. Am I a yeller? If the answer is yes, do I like it? No. Do I want to do something about it? Yes. What? How? See, now I have a set of, I, I have a better assessment and a set of instructions. That's learning. Mm-hmm. Learning is never without making mistakes. Yes. Oh, that's so insightful because you're right. When we don't ask the right questions, we're not going to get the answers we're looking for. You right. have to ask the right questions. And it's true. I mean, why do I do this? Why am I like this? And you're just kind of like in despair, but you're not asking the right question is, how can I change this? I know it's causing me distress. I know it's causing me pain. I feel horrible every time I do it. How can I change this? Yes. And then maybe you can go back and ask them why. I found in my situation, my yelling was worse in the morning. The reason I was yelling so much in the morning is because I was rushing. Everything was, I was late for everything. And then I learned, okay, I need to get up earlier. I need to get this done so I can help the kids do this. And it helped with the whole situation. But you're right. If I would have just been, why am I like this? Or even just accept, well, I guess I'm just a yeller and that's how I'm going to be my whole life. And I'm just going to feel ashamed about it. Um, I was able to change it and I am no longer a yeller. So I'll say that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> something that I thought at one point in my life that that was just who I was and it was not ever going to change. I'm Latin American too. We don't have too much time to talk about culture, but I think that that's something that I learned. Yelling is literally part of my family. We absolutely. yell. And it, even, you know, we don't even have to be mad. We just yell. Yes. <laughs> you know? So yes. I learned that I didn't know a different way to be. I had to learn a new way. So for me, that forgiveness of those mistakes I made early on, but also the appreciation that I had the ability to learn a different way. And so I want to to talk to all the listeners out there and be like, you know, if there's a, a certain thing you're doing and you don't like it and it's causing you distress and you feel like it's affecting your relationship with your children, it's okay to learn a different way. Just listen to Dr. Siggy, all this wonderful advice she has. But speaking of that, sometimes there's conflicts or there are situations with parents and how they're relating to their children that may deserve some professional help. You're a professional. So tell us, how do we know that we might benefit from professional help? And just, I say this all the time, but just to say that I have myself seen a therapist for many years, that's helped me a ton with some of these parent-child issues. But how do we know that someone might benefit from this, from a professional to help them through the journey? 
Absolutely. I think that most of the time the assessment is is something chronic and constant. So if I have a small plumbing issue and I can and I feel like I can fix it myself and I actually do it, that's wonderful. Um, but if this plumbing issue is consistent and becomes actually worse and it's regular, maybe I should call someone who is better at this particular skill than me and can resolve it long term as opposed to me just fixing it on a regular basis with my limited skills. So it's kind of like that. Using resources for anything is one of the greatest things that we have nowadays. We, you know, we say it takes a village, right? We no longer have the old fashioned village, unfortunately. We don't live next door to our parents and aunts and uncles and the wise man down the street, the wise woman that we can share parenting with on a regular basis. So parenting is very lonely, very isolated most often. And I think it's okay for parents to recognize, I can't do this alone. I think this is something beyond me. And using a resource, whatever the resource is, that can walk me through this challenge, not do it for me, not um, certainly not guilt and shame me for not being able to do it myself. But holding my hand, using their skill level better than the ones I have, and walking me through this challenge, Mm -hmm. definitely to a better place, maybe out of this chaos, out of this chronic situation, Um, out of this loneliness and isolation that is challenging me so much more. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that a lot of parents need permission to seek resources because we're feeling that we need to be perfect and we should have all the answers and that's just not true. So I think that it's for a lot of parents seeking that help, it takes a lot of courage. And so just to give permission to listeners out there. If you feel like you're in the situation, like Dr. Siggy's talking about that you are chronically having an issue, you've maybe tried different repairs and it's not working. It's okay to seek help and it could make a huge difference in your life. So I think that's really important to acknowledge. Yes, absolutely. What are some of your favorite resources that we can explore for parents that want to know more about the parent-child relationship and fostering a healthy relationship with their children. You mean resources outside of Yeah, so like any books or websites, what what where do you like <clears throat> to refer parents? Um unfortunately, I mean there are some really good resources out there. I don't know that there is anything in particular that I know that is the one resource I refer parents to. Um, and so I'm stumbling with that question because not because I'm trying to say I'm the one, no, not necessarily. I'm one of the ones that are out there and there are a few more. And I think that many parents actually recognize and know the style that they like 
and they go out there and seek that, right? Positive parenting, um, the therapeutic parenting, there's all these different resources out there, um, hand in hand and so on and so forth. And if they find that that works for them, I'm all for it. If they find that this is their support system, the, the hand that's holding them through this journey, and they don't feel alone, I think it's wonderful. Um, yeah, so that's the most important thing is to find something that aligns with them and that they feel supported by. So that's great advice. What do you wish more parents knew? About themselves. <laughs> I think that parents want to recognize that they are learners in this journey, just as their children are. They are ahead. It's true, like you said earlier, they're a few steps ahead of their child, and they maybe have been through parts of this journey before, but it's a never-ending learning process. And it's okay to continue to grow. I think that parents want to recognize the child in them and know that that child comes to life in many, many um, circumstances that are triggering the child in them. And they want to be aware that they have to continue to grow and raise this, the child in them, whether that child's a little wounded, hurt, confused, um, triggered easily, traumatized, obviously, we 100% want to be able to recognize that, that we bring, this is the baggage we bring into the here and now mm. constantly. Yes. You never unpacked it unless you really continue to grow and learn yourself. Mm. So, so know that, know that there are moments, you know, sometimes it's in the small moments of, my child is challenging me like, wow, what do I do right now? And the recognition of I can't, I, I don't actually know what it is I'm going to do right now. What I do know is I'm not supposed to react instantly and compulsively because that's not necessarily the right thing to do. Yeah. So I have to be aware of it. Yeah. Uh, what a beautiful message. Well, I'd love to hear about your personal habit. What personal habit are you most proud of and why? My personal habit as a parent or just Any, anything. I like to ask this to all my guests because it's just fun to discover. When we talk about habits and behaviors, every person has their own thing that they're really proud of that that's something that they regularly do. So for you, what would that be? Hiking. Is one of my most favorite things to do. And I recognize that it has so much to do with my childhood. Walking was just a part of me, uh, walking distances, walking in nature. So I still love that. It's my, in a way, sometimes I call it my meditation, not just my physical um, sort of like outlet. Um, so it is mind and body for me, hiking. Um, and luckily, living in a place that allows that and has, you know, I mean, California is beautiful in that sense that we have good weather and enough uh, nature around us. Um, I read a lot. I'm an avid reader. I always was. Uh, books were my comfort and solace and companion and um, definitely exposure to the world 
beyond my own, and they still are. I feel that books are that for me. So I read almost every single morning. I start my day with my cup of coffee and whatever book I'm reading um, for at least an hour, um, if I can. (laughs) You know, I don't have small children anymore. I don't want parents to think, oh, well, I mean, yes, I've done my, (laughs) I've done my job. I've done my share. My kids are obviously older. So I am allowed and able to do that right now. Yeah, it sounds so luxurious. How often do you get to go hiking? I actually live right outside some great hiking trails. So as much as I can, I think maybe five times a week. Wow. Nice. If weather, yeah. You know, some. I mean, I live in Southern California. It can get really, really hot here. That's not um, what you can do. It gets a little cold, obviously, but not that cold. So as long as I can and I'm able to and weather permits, I love to either walk or hike. Um, so, yeah, I want to oh, say nice. more than five times, but yeah. I think it's, yeah. Five times a week. So nice. And you're right. It can definitely be a walking meditation. They actually teach walking meditation. So yes. if, the way, if that's the way that you get that mind-body connection, then that's a, a wonderful way to do it. Yes. Well, Dr. Siggy, this has been so amazing. You are just a wealth of knowledge, and I love your style. I love how you give us those scripts so that we can think through a situation, how we're going to say it differently or how we're going to word things. So thank you for doing that. I know that my listeners would love to follow you. So tell us where we can connect with you and what services and products you're offering currently. Sure. So I think the Dr. Siggy Instagram is how many people are using the information that I put out there and reaching out to me. Um, It's also Dr. Siggy Facebook, if people prefer that. Um, We are coming out in maybe a month or two. I'm hoping we're in the last stages of our um, website that's going to also um, present a lot of information and lessons that parents will be able to actually stream and watch and hear Mm. and be walked through situations and challenges Mm. much more literally and much more in details. So that is coming up. And what's your website? It will be drsiggy.com. But right now, I think that, um, and there is a website, drsiggy.com, and they can go there but this will be, it, it is in the process of being reinvented. Um, nice. So, but the Dr. Siggy Instagram, I think, is where most people reach out to me and find um, the the weekly, you know, information that um, we put there. Yes. And you do have lots of videos there. So it's nice. And, and even on your image posts, it has those scripts and different ways of wording things. So I, I appreciate that a lot. And probably by the time this airs, it, your new website might already be up. So we'll see. Hopefully. I can put everything <laughs> in the show notes and you can check her out. At the least follow her on Instagram. And then you can see all the things that are coming. So Dr. Siggy, thank you so much for everything. It's been very helpful. My last 
ask for you is to leave us with one call to action. So what is one thing that we can do this week to foster a healthy relationship with our children? Pause. Do a lot of, pause a lot of times throughout the day. Stop yourself. Pause. Notice how it is you're feeling. Don't rush to solve, to fix, to jump into conclusions because you are anxious and feel like you absolutely need to solve and resolve everything in the moment. Not true. Not true at all. So pause allows you to take a moment to breathe truly through it, to realize that the urgency that it feels isn't actually necessary or even correct. Yes. Mm, Beautiful. Pause. I love that. Dr. Siggy, thank you so much for your time. I hope that everybody will follow you so that they can learn more from you. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you so much. This has been my pleasure as well. It's been great getting to know you. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 